Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is IronRadio.org. I'm Robert Fortress Fortney, former editor at Muscle Mag International, former competitive bodybuilder, and current strength enthusiast. And good morning, everybody. This is Charles Staley, author of Muscle Logic, creator of Escalating Density Training, and I'm a master's uh, competitive weightlifter. Uh, Phil Stevens, strength coach, competitive powerlifter, founder of LifterHope.org, and the uh, founder of the recent PETA. Uh, Please eat the animals. Um, and for everybody listening today, we kind of got a special guest. It's going to be host turned guest here. We got we got Carl Lenore with us from Superhuman Radio. How you guys doing? Good. Thanks for joining us, Carl. My pleasure. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, um, and God, I hope everybody knows who he is. Carl, again, he he's the host of the International Syndicate Talk Radio Show, uh, Superhuman Radio. His show focuses on health. Fitness, longevity, just an emphasis on physical culture as a whole, uh, nutrition, body wellness. Um, if you haven't caught any Carl's shows, uh, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. You need to go on there. You can you can find him on the various podcasts like AOL, Shoutcast, Winamp, um, what, iTunes, all that. You can check him out on his radio show as well, the, the website, com. And uh, Carl, again, I mean that 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 kind of covers us. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, I, like I said to Charles, this is actually the first radio show that asked me to be a guest. <laughs> and you know, and, and, and after you guys invited me, I thought, gee, why am I not doing more of other people's radio shows? You know, it's a, it, 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 it was a no-brainer to be invited. I appreciate exactly. it very much, very much. No, I'm I mean, flattered. And, and you are, I mean, you are a student of this whole game. You know, I mean, just for your show, you're having to constantly. I mean, you must be just up for hours and hours on end, just researching topics and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally, I literally burned through, and I, and I, and I, I, I literally this this week alone, I've already burned through 424 uh, either abstracts or complete studies of interest to try to find topics. Because I do five shows a week. I do Monday through Friday. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing one today at one o'clock, and so yeah, it's it's a, an ever exhausting challenge to keep fresh topics coming out and and also um to try to be to try to do the best to kind of beat everybody to the punch about that yeah. kind of stuff you know so well, i mean that's one of the things you're kind of good at is just you're always on the cutting edge and, and bringing forth new, new and exciting information yeah. to everybody um, i try to but i miss sometimes let me tell you i've had some some real uh, bad shows in the past and <laughs> but I, I tell people you know you got to have a couple bad shows otherwise yeah. people forget what a good show is exactly <laughs> now, Carl, without naming names talk to me about a bad show like in terms of a topic oh i did a show one time with a scientist from egypt it was oh, actually a really good topic uh he did a study that showed that uh exposure to cellular telephones just in the standby mode for eight hours a day, reduced sperm motility by 94%. Now, this is really important. No, no, no. I mean, you we're laughing, right? Okay. Yeah. The takeaway is a man who wears a cell phone on his belt buckle right. and, it's, and wears it that way for eight hours a day is reducing his ability to impregnate his wife dramatically. So you could use have, it as birth, you could use it as birth yes. control. Yes, it could be self-birth control, right. But the problem was, between the accent and the international phone line that we had, the guy, it was just, it was just a disaster of an interview. It was a disaster of an interview. And, you know, and, I, and, and I'll tell you, the, the other one that falls into that category that was even worse, 
The second interview I ever did on my show was with, of all people, Louis Simmons. Hmm. And I, I had a really bad piece of recording equipment. And L- Louis came on the show and talked about the proper form to produ- to, uh, for, for, for performing the squat. And it sounded like he was calling me from Mars. There was this buzz in the back. And you couldn't hear him because it was, I, actually, I actually had the show up on the podcast directly, and then I removed it because it was such an embarrassment to me. To, to put that quality of show out. But, you know, I've had those kinds. A lot of times that they're bad shows, not because um, the information is bad, but because the uh, guest kind of missed the mark on the, the message or the quality of the connection. Or, you know, you, you deal with these technical problems all day long. So, Yeah, I hear you there. Um, so to, to bring this back in, what originally got you maybe interested in the physical culture and how did this transition into superhuman radio and, and broadcasting this? It's real simple. For those people out there who don't think that bodybuilding and powerlifting uh, is important to the average guy, I was dying. I was dying. In 1998, I was diagnosed with an irreversible arrhythmia. And my doctor told me I was in good company because uh, Bill Bradley was running for office back then, if you remember, and he had to pull out of the race because of his arrhythmia. And he goes, oh, you know, Bill Bradley and you. And I thought, you know, F you, man. (laughs) And I was on like a myriad of drugs that were designed to control my heart and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I read one book, and there was one passage in the book. I was really depressed, and and my wife at the time bought me a book by Deepak Chopra that was called Ageless Beauty, Timeless Mind. And there was one passage in the book that said every cell in the body is replaced within six months to seven years, depending on whether it's, you know, tissue, organ, bone, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, okay, so I, I have these unhealthy cells, and I have to put myself in the greatest possible position so when this cell is replaced, it's replaced with the healthy cell. So the first thing I did was I cleaned up my nutrition. I lost weight. I was 356 pounds at the time. Um, I, okay. I, had, I didn't have blood. I had wax. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was like it was cholesterol with some blood mixed in with it is what it was. And so, uh, and so you know, I cleaned up my, my diet. I started losing weight. And, and you know, and, and I started looking for information. So I, I lied and said I was a doctor, and I subscribed to a, a database. And I started to do research, and I realized that my heart was the problem. And so I was trying to find things that had the most profound effect on the heart. I kept coming across these studies about powerlifters and anabolic steroids. And I thought, man, you know, and the word remodeling, the word it was like cardiac remodeling due to, uh, uh, you know, heavy resistance exercise in, un, in trained athletes. And I'm like, remodeling, it's like, what do you do when your house is a mess? You know, you want to remodel it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, my friggin' heart was a mess. I'm like, okay, I need to remodel my heart. And I thought, okay. And I remember walking into my doctor, my doctor, Jim Swift, nice guy. And I remember saying to him, I'm going to become a power lifter. And he looked at me and he said, do you have life insurance? I swear to God, this is not a joke. <laughs> He says, just make sure you have enough life insurance, you know, to take care of your family because you're going to die. He goes, your heart will never stand up to it. I says, no, you're, you're wrong. I said, my heart will stand up to it. I'm going to take it gradually. I'm not going to just jump under the bar. Mm-hmm. And that became my journey and my journey into physical culture. And so really the truth of the matter is cool. that, you know, strength, strength and, and weightlifting changed and, and literally saved my life because I'm sure by now I would have been, you know, just a, a, a pharmacological soup and uh, laying in a bed somewhere. Or fertilizer. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but that was my story. Nice. Um, so, and that that led into how long has Superhuman Radio been? been going Superhuman Radio has been on the air for just about four and a half years now. Um, it started as a joke. Uh, the truth of the matter is that once you become, once you find out you can cure your own illnesses, you kind of become a zealot. And your family and friends tolerate it for a while, but then after a while it's like, okay, you know, stop telling us how to eat. Stop telling us we have to exercise. Go away. Mm-hmm. And so I was at a party one night, and, uh, and you can't be at a party with women without somebody saying they're on a diet, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so then I start giving points. I go, you know, I used to be 350 pounds. They're like, oh, come on. Uh, yeah, you know, and here's what happened to me, and here's how I did it. So this guy came out of nowhere and says, you know, I was listening to you talk. You had an audience around you. He says, you ever think about doing radio? I says, no, I hate the sound of my own voice. I says, why would I want to do radio? And he gave me this guy's card at Clear Channel and said, go talk to this guy. And that's how it started. Huh. That, that's quite interesting. That's a good story, man. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, from uh, you don't hear it often, you know, especially the power aspect people going to turning to powerlifting for health reasons yeah, yeah exactly leading to, leading to something greater that's that's, that's I, I, when i do shows i, I look I, superhuman radio is kind of like a uh is like a variety show of physical culture nutrition and drugs and everything kind of mixed in together and we talk about a wide variety of stuff you know recently we've been talking about food safety bills that are trying to steal our ability to to have access to healthy food and and uh you know it's it's uh, the topics that i cover a lot of times i get people who unsubscribe from my newsletter saying I'm not a bodybuilder. Usually these are women, too. Yeah. And I've done shows to explain to people, look, you think you're not a bodybuilder, but let me, let, me, let me bring it to these terms. If your house is falling apart from wear and tear every single year and you just let it continue to fall apart, you won't have anything to sell in 20 years or anything to live in in probably 30. Now think of your body. What do you do when your house falls apart? You don't just repair it. You upgrade, right? Okay, the cabinets are shot. You don't just put new shot cabinets back up. You go, well, we're going to go ahead and upgrade. We're going to put granite marble top and blah, blah, blah. So you do the same thing with your body. Yeah. Your body is constantly moving in a direction of deterioration. You, have to, you, you can't just, just compensate for it. You have to overcome it. You've got to push it back in the other direction. Because, And I say this. This became my mantra. It used to be my closing line for the show for the first two years. Muscle is metabolic currency. The way you save money in the bank for that journey into old age, you better have muscle on your frame. Otherwise, you'll have a lot of money in the bank, but you'll be sitting in a diaper in a wheelchair facing a wall in some institution. So putting muscle on now for me is like this is my metabolic currency. When I get 80 years old, I'll still be able to lift myself out of a chair. Wow, that's that's great. That is a good one. I mean, that's definitely one of the things that I'm, I'm preaching of late to a lot of even the younger guys. Because you're seeing a lot of them now. I don't, I don't want to get big. And it's like, whew. Yeah, try you're, you're 22. You know, yeah. get big now. And Never then, mind that. I love when people know. say stupid stuff like that, especially the women. It's like, I'll tell you what. Try and get big. Yeah. You, they, they all, everybody thinks, oh, if I start lifting weights, I'm going to get too big. Oh, yeah. There's those of us who have been trying for years to get too big, and we can't. <laughs> you know what? Give me too big. I'll do exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, just one more thing, and we'll get on to the topic of the day because we're getting real close to that on a couple things. Um, just wanted to hit, you know, again, again, all the cutting edge topics you come to. What, what in general um, does the superhuman radio have in store for us? Anything new on the horizon? You know, you've talked about some some future syndicates and, and whatnot. Well, I, the the AOL Shoutcast channel that I have right now is really exciting. AOL has a new syndication system called Shoutcast, 
and it's going to take terrestrial radio and satellite radio by surprise. And I actually have my own shoutcast channel. I have my own radio station that will launch in 2010 called the Superhuman Channel. And it's going to be a talk format channel. We're going to have all different shows that interest people like us. Mm-hmm. You know, Superhuman Radio, I'm talking to two people about hosting a strength and conditioning show. Uh, these will be five-day-a-week shows. I mean, these are going to be job commitments for people. Um, uh, I'm talking to uh, a woman right now who will do a political show, but from the standpoint of the things that should, should be interesting us, like food safety bills and codex and laws that are going to impinge our ability to stay with these lifestyles. To, uh, we're trying to get the, the correct word out there about hormone replacement therapy and hormones. Hormones are being unfairly judged right now because of baseball players that abuse them. It's like that's BS. Since when do sports dictate medicine? Yeah. You have doctors out there that are afraid to, to prescribe growth hormone for patients who should be getting it because they're afraid of the scrutiny from the FDA. Why? Because of baseball. Wait a minute. What's wrong with that? Yeah. So, you know, the Superhuman Channel is going to be a channel uh, that has t- strong ties to physical culture and nutrition and everything it does, but it's going to bring a myriad of new shows uh, into the fold. That the, the things that interest all of us. Look, Phil... You, you, you have a life outside of, of, of lifting, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, oh, yeah. we have families that we're trying to raise. We want to take vacations. I know Charles is a big talk radio buff. I mean, we have other things. We're multifaceted people. We're not the lugheads and lunkheads that people like to portray us as. And so this channel is going to give us all of those great shows, the things that we love for the rest of our lives. Nice. So it's a yeah, super If you go to Shoutcast or Winamp, dot uh, com or shoutcast dot com and search for the Superhuman Channel. Uh, it's up there right now, playing music and some old episodes of Superhuman Radio. We're just burning the server in, but 2010 it launches. Nice. That sounds good. Everybody check that out. Can they get that through your website as well? No, uh, it, no. Uh, no. We we haven't put it up on the website because we're really not promoting the channel yet. Like I said, because there's times where it's down. But if they okay. go to shoutcast, if you go to shoutcast dot com and just search for Superhuman Channel and then click tune in, you'll be able to listen to. We got some great mashups playing right now. Great music for cardio in the morning, stuff like that. Good, good stuff. Okay, from from there, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and and move on to the topic of the day, and uh, we'll start hitting some interesting stuff then. Okay. topic of the day, it's kind of a topic that's going to confirm that, that old saying, uh, you can't out-trade a crappy diet. Um, what we're going to talk about is, is something me and, me and Carl were talking about recently, and it, it's insulin resistance in the athlete. Um, I know, like I said, me, me and Carl were talking about it, and Charles has been delving into kind of this subject of late, and more specifically how food, the food that we eat, how it impacts us, um, even, even us people that train hard. Um, I just want to kind of preface this with with a few things. Um, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword topic. I mean, you look at, you know, sure we have we have health problems of today, but then you also look, and we also have the largest and, and strongest and fastest people ever. And you know, one has to you know, can't ignore the fact that a lot of that is is from just the food and overabundance of food, um, the insulin that triggers and in turn the growth. Um, but then, you know, again, it's problematic. I mean, what, what health issues are we getting here? 
uh, stuff like that. Um, yep. And then you go into it, and it's the, the whole topic of, you know, these people were talking about elite athletes, and media likes to portray elite athletes kind of as, as the pinnacle of nutrition and health. And, and anybody who's been in this game and they're looking to take it to the next level kind of knows that's not true. Um, Training-wise, nutrition-wise, there there's steps you take. You know, when you're going beyond good, you know, there's going to be detriment. So it's like, you know, what what is this actually doing to, to elite athletes and, and ourselves? Um, it's interesting. I think this plays into what Carl said before about about muscle being currency because, you know, the the one it, this insulin resistance is a double-edged sword. One is the amount of carbohydrate intake that you have that produces uh, insulin secretion from the pancreas, mm-hmm. but then the other is how much contractile tissue you have to sort of attenuate that rise in blood sugar. And so uh, the ideal being having a lot of muscle and not eating particularly a lot of carbohydrates. But uh, I really think that plays into what Carl was saying. Yeah. Well, if I can jump in here just for a second, uh, the the the, the there's, there's a, there needs to be a delineation first of all between when we just we use this we use this broad stroking word athletes. Okay. There, there becomes a point where strength athletes tend to be less healthy. Let's say than their smaller, wiry, uh, more uh, narrow-built, uh, you know, baseball players are starting to get real big now, too. But, I mean, we used to use those. You know, the, 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 the more aerobic attendant uh, athletes tend to be less insulin-resistant than us. And I say us, you know, putting myself into that category. I'm, I'm only 235 pounds right now. But nonetheless, if you're, if you're the kind of athlete that's consuming 3,500 calories a day and up and some strength athletes are pushing six and eight thousand calories okay you are most definitely and i say this unabashedly you are most definitely insulin resistant now are you diabetic probably not are you pre-diabetic maybe because diabetes is illustrated when the insulin resistance becomes uh so out of hand that uh, there becomes a disruption in certain uh biological systems but if we could just look at insulin resistance in and of itself, and let's, for this audience, let's forget about health for a second, because m- most of us really don't care about health when we're trying to get that 600-pound squat or that 700-pound deadlift, um, you know, or, or if you're a bodybuilder and you're just trying to put on, excuse me, sheer mass, you're really not thinking about health. You're thinking about performance. Well, let's look at it this way. Um, insulin resistance is to your body what friction is to an automotive engine. And, and, and Charles, you and I, we love the automobile analogy, don't we? That's I, a good one. I, I've never heard that particular one. Well, and, and let me tell you why I say that. Um, it's, it's very true and very well understood by those who, who study physics that an automobile engine that produces 350 horsepower at the drivetrain is probably producing twice that horsepower in the engine internally but most of it is used just in moving the pistons and the friction against the walls of the cylinders and the crankshaft bearings and all of the friction inside the engine. And that's why if you had no friction at all, you remember that game, Charles, or, 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 or any of you, remember that game where you, if there was no friction, they showed you like a, t- a, a, a pool table. You hit the ball and it bounces off the bumper and it slows down, but if there was no friction, it just keeps going faster yeah. and faster. And, okay. Right. Well, the, okay. The same is true of an, an automobile engine. And so friction really s- saps a lot of energy 
from the drivetrain of the engine. Okay, the same is true about insulin resistance. Insulin resistance causes a compromised um, intake of glucose by the cells. The cells have to work harder on less energy. And this is, this is uh, what presents lactate buildup, lactic acid buildup. Those of us who get that burn, well, this is, quite often that burn will occur as a result of not just low uh, oxygen, but also low glucose into the cell. And, and this is evidenced by people who are severely diabetic. They develop a disorder called lactic acidosis, where every single movement produces lactic acid. And their muscles burn continuously, and they have a constant state of fatigue. So one could say that the inability for glucose to enter the cells will, will absolutely, surely will impair your ability to produce contractile force of your muscles. So there is a benefit to optimizing insulin sensitivity. Right, an immediate benefit. This is not just a long-term health issue. Right. That's a, that's a very good point. Right. Um, so what is it, you know, what is it that we're doing that is, that it, that is precipitating this problem? Well, you know, Phil points out we are the fattest nation in the world right now. Yeah. And that's sad. That's sad. That, that really breaks my heart. Um, but more importantly, we have lifestyle choices that we have made that promote insulin resistance. And it's not just the high carbohydrate and high refined carbohydrate intake. But that, is, that definitely is by far on the top of the list because the American government promotes a diet rich in carbohydrates and, and, and limited numbers of, of proteins and fats. And that is because the agricultural industry makes money that way and the government kowtows to their biggest supporters and boom, 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 and, you know, that's another show. But carbohydrates by far is number one. But number two on the list is sodium. Nothing spikes insulin like sodium does. And we have very high sodium intakes. If we're having – I just did this yesterday and today. I don't care if you're eating clean. An egg has 85 milligrams of sodium in it. I eat 10 eggs a day by, by and large usually, Okay. A piece of beef has about um, of 25 or 35 uh, milligrams of sodium per ounce, okay? I mean, when you look at the amount of sodium that we consume in a day, it's probably four to 5,000 milligrams easily a day. Now, it's not a terrible thing if it's in small aliquots. But when you have one of those meals that has 2,000 milligrams of sodium in it, I don't care if there's carbs in it or not. Guess what? You just had an insulin spike. So that's another thing that is going to produce insulin resistance. The third thing on the list, which frustrates the crap out of me, and it's just because it's like, my God, it's like the, the, these companies don't care if they poison us as long as we keep buying their products. It's caffeine. Caffeine, by far, is one of the worst supplements you can use for your overall condition. It may give you that feeling of energy right before you lift. And as a society, we Americans love to feel our stuff. Yeah. I mean, if they put caffeine in oatmeal, more people would eat oatmeal because they go, man, this oatmeal's working because I can feel it. Yeah. But caffeine increases glucose levels in the absence of carbohydrates for up to 12 hours. There's two studies that were done uh, I want to say by two Harvard-trained doctors, they were on my show about two years ago, where they took diabetics and reduced their caffeine intake by 50% and, and also another group to zero. The group that went to zero, 
they were able to cut their diabetes controlling meds by two-thirds. So then they did a second study and they looked at it. As little as 350 milligrams of caffeine will raise baseline glucose levels for up to 12 hours. Now, this actually causes two separate problems. Number one, you have an artificial increase in glucose because the caffeine is causing a liberation of glycogen from the liver, so insulin has to kick in and push it back down. The second thing that happens is there's an immediate and spontaneous drop in glucose at the 12-hour point. Now, think about this for a second. You have a cup of coffee, your last cup of coffee, at 10 or 11 o'clock in the afternoon. And then when you go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night, around 11 o'clock at night, you become severely hypoglycemic and you wake up. You go, geez, I don't understand why I'm wide awake right now. And, I, and, and the first thing you start thinking about is, oh, I've got to take care of that bill tomorrow. And, God, the car wasn't running right. And, all your, and then you think, oh, the reason I woke up is because I'm worried about my problems. No. What's happening is during a hypoglycemic episode, the brain begins to panic. And so the brain has to associate panic with something because you, you, you don't know if your brain is starving for glucose. So the panic becomes associated with whatever is immediate in your life that's worrying you. And you wake up worrying about those things. You go, oh, that's why I woke up. I was worrying about that stuff. No, you woke up because your glucose levels dropped. Your body had to wake up in order for your adrenals to kick in and liberate some glycogen. And if you don't believe this, next time you wake up in the middle of the night wide awake, have a glu glucose meter next to your bed and pop it. Pop your, pop, and depending on whether you wake up immediately when the hypoglycemic episode starts or after it's corrected itself, you will either see... Uh, below 80 nanogram reading of glucose or above 130. And because what you'll either see is the event while it's happening or the correction, the glucose is spiking. And you'll think, so how can my glucose be 130 in the middle of the night? I haven't had a meal in six hours. So try that if you don't believe it. But caffeine is just a terrible, terrible thing for the athlete, terrible. That's why I just eat eight, nine times a night. It just helps me out there. I, I just bypass <laughs> all that. Do you wake up in the middle of the night and eat? Several times, usually, yes. Oh, God. Well, you know, uh, caffeine leads to poor sleep habits, and poor yeah. sleep habits are really culprits. Um, you know, thanks for, to, to Electric Light. You know, I wrote an, an article for a South, a South, American, uh, South African bodybuilding magazine called Muscle Evolution called uh, Is Thomas Edison Stealing Your Gains? The suprachiasmatic nuclei. Oh, yeah, it, it was a really great article. The suprachiasmatic nuclei actually synchronizes hormone receptors, androgen receptors, so mm -hmm. that that androgens can dock in there and do their good job. And you know, I read I read a book that you probably have read, Carl, called Sleep, Sugar, and Survival. That was about that Dr. Wiley. That's Dr. Wiley. Yeah, book, right? and, yeah, and it made me absolutely paranoid about any kind of light uh, when I sleep and. Uh, my wife will tell you I'm just absolutely anal retentive about it, and I'm just uh, everything has got to be stark, Charles, you know, stark, as, stark as possible. Tinfoil headgear. I'm the I, same <laughs> way. I wear actually a full body suit that prevents any light getting through <laughs> to the skin. Kind of, kind of like a kind of like a sleeping bag, you know. That, uh, but yeah, no, really, it really made an impact on my thinking. It's, and it's, and, it, and you got to think about something. You know, we, we forget that we have not changed. Evolution has not changed us very much from when we were Paleolithic human beings. You know, we used to go to sleep when it got dark. We had no choice. You know, yeah. okay, so you started a little fire, but what could you do by the fire? You went in the cave and you laid. And the other thing is when you look at sleep, and I believe that book was the first uh, one of the books I read this in, we used to be polyphasic. And what they meant by that is we probably went to sleep around 8 o'clock at night, depending on the region we lived in. And we probably slept for five or six hours and then woke up and laid there and thought.
for an hour or two and then fell back to sleep for another three or four or five hours yeah. until daylight cracked in and we went, oh, it's time to wake up. So sleep, and, and I'll tell you the, the most uh, 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 pointing evidence there is, that there was a study done on Olympic athletes uh, by Dr. Mark Rosekind's group, and he's a, he's a sleep specialist, and he actually consults for the Olympic teams, and he sets up their sleep arrangements, their sleep hygiene, all that sort of stuff. And they took Olympic athletes, and they sleep-deprived them for just two days. And by sleep-deprived, they meant anything less than six hours of sleep. And they had the same glucose management issues that 70-year-old adults do in just two days. And these were Olympic athletes. Yes. Wow. So, you know, sleep, uh, caffeine leads into poor sleep, and poor sleep habits will precipitate glucose management issues. Um, High-saturated fat meals, you know, if you, if you have a meal that's got – 150% of your daily saturated fat in it, boom, you're going to have a big spike in insulin. Uh, and then there's age-related inflammations. Like old guys like me, I'm 51 years old. The parts are starting to wear out. There's a lot of inflammation, so controlling inflammation is critical. And the one last group that has to be well understood is, is probably the most notorious, and that's the drug-using athlete. Anabolic steroids in superphysiological doses have been shown in a rack of studies to cause insulin resistance by a dislocation of GLUT4 on the cell. And GLUT4 is what signals. It's part of the glucose signaling uh, system that tells the cell to let glucose in. And when GLUT4 is, is translocated, the cell doesn't hear the glucose knocking, so to speak. So you have this constant, constantly elevated levels of glucose running through, through the bloodstream. So anabolic steroids will, in superphysiological super doses, will precipitate insulin resistance. And the problem with that is you get these young guys who are shooting a gram of test a week and think, well, I don't have to sleep because I'm shooting a gram of mm -hmm. test a week. I don't have to eat right because I'm shooting a gram. No, I got news for you, brother. You're wasting 70% of that cycle because it's not imparting the growth that it could grow if you treated your body the way you should. It do drugs don't give you license to not get it right. <laughs> That's uh, kind of like one of uh, one of Louis' famous things that he said. You know, he's like, I, I got a, you know, he pointed over at a training bag, and he's like, you know, I got I got a hamburger and, and a vial of testosterone over there, and neither of them have lifted a thing. It, you know, you have to put them in the body and and then treat it right. You know, for them to do anything, they they're not magic on their own. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, to kind of ring this back in, um. And boiling down to the insulin resistance in the athlete, you know, and then you're you're stating all this, okay, the salt, the caffeine, and almost, you know, kind of play devil's advocate here. Um, we're talking, you know, no larger meals, you know, no larger meals with, with fat, no larger meals with salt, no large meals with carbohydrates. Okay, how 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 is it then that the athlete is expected to get bigger, stronger, faster than ever before? Well, first of all, you have to understand that there's a point of diminishing returns. The, 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 we have pushed the human body to a totally new mm -hmm. regions. The 240, 250-pound athlete, strength athlete, is an unnatural athlete. Sorry, Charles, to steal the heading of one of your <laughs> best books, but for a different reason. We, that, that's an unnatural athlete. That's unsustainable muscle at some point in time. So you have to understand that. That's like the difference of me owning a BMW and you owning a Ferrari, and then you bitching at me because you had to take your Ferrari in for a tune-up and it cost you $1,300. <laughs> it's like, guess what? With that comes a responsibility. Yeah. 
Okay, so if you want to be one of these unnatural athletes, then you have a responsibility, and the responsibility is you have to become even more precise and get it right, because guess what? The car, I can change the alternator, but I can't change your heart, at least not yet. Okay, so you've got to get it right. So if you want to be one of these big, bounding, bodybuilding, heaving, you know, perfect forms of what the athlete can be if pushing the body to unnatural limits – then you have a responsibility, and that responsibility is that you're going to have to be really anal retentive about how you eat, what you eat. You've got to plan your meals, and it becomes a job. And that's a decision you have to make when you take on that Ferrari of a body. Well, I think it also boils down to as well, I mean, especially in, I guess, bodybuilding as it currently is, um, and even, you know, your super elite level strength athletes, accepting the, the, the detriment. You know, to go for the body to go further, and if you actually want to be, if if somebody wants to be the strongest man in the world now, there's going to be some negatives you have to accept. You know, or if you want to be Mr. Olympia, you know, I I can't believe that you can do that totally healthy. Yeah, there's a price to pay. You know. No, I agree. I agree. <clears throat> now there are things that can be done. There are solutions here. Okay. Um, there are things that every and again, I apologize to use this term this way, Charles, but every unnatural athlete out there, every one of you who wants to be that giant-sized athlete, there are things that you can do, aside from the fact that you should you know, eat smaller meals more frequently throughout the day in an effort to not have that big spike of insulin, which we've known for tens of years now is the way to do it, right? Um, make sure you're getting better sleep. Yes. The sleep that occurs before midnight is the most important. You should be, if you're a serious athlete and you consider you're a serious athlete and you want to tell your friends you're a serious athlete, athlete then, then you have to live like one. And guess what? Serious athletes go to sleep early. We don't, you know, if you're a serious athlete, you're probably not going to be real popular with your friends, but that's the, that's the <laughs> agony of being a serious athlete. Yeah, or your wife. Well, I don't know. My wife would get in bed early with me back in the day, but that was when I was still had a wife. But anyway... Um, <laughs> You know, um, you know, 10 o'clock, lights out, man. And really, I get in bed at 9, personally, because I like to read. So I read. That's when I read a bunch of studies and, and read good books. I'm reading a couple good books, one by Dan John. Do you know Dan John? Mm -hmm. We know Dan John yeah, very well. Dan okay, what, what a great book I'm reading. That guy is like the Mark Twain of physical culture. But anyway, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I like to read. So I get in bed at 9, and I'm usually asleep by 10. And yeah. that's that, you know, and, and I wake up early too. I get up at five, but I wake up on my own. I don't have an alarm clock. I let my body come out of sleep on its own. But getting good sleep is critical. It's critical for your gains. It's critical for your health. Okay, magnesium. Uh, two watershed studies done. One of them right here in Arizona, Charles, with the Pima Indian. The Pima Indian are genetically um, insulin resistant, probably because yeah. of the, they they have very little evolution changing the way they are. And they had, to, they had to thrive with very little nutrition when there was famine times. You know, people who become insulin resistant easily are actually um, more uh, adapted, so to speak, to the way we used to be because we didn't have an abundance of food all the time. So we operated better with less food. But the downside of that is that when we get more food, we, we become insulin resistant. But the Pima Indians and this other study show that t supplementing with 400 to 600 milligrams a day of magnesium, preferably magnesium citrate, will increase cellular sensitivity to insulin, okay? That's what we want. We, want, we don't want insulin mimetics like 
are alpha-lipoic acid and cinnamon that act like insulin. That's not the solution. The solution is get the cell to become more sensitive, not to compensate for the lack of insulin. So magnesium is a great choice. The second choice, but you've got to be careful with it, and that is uh, micrograms of vanadium or vanadyl sulfate. And you should only take this for a few weeks at a time. But uh, vanadium in like 100 to 200 micrograms a day is stored in the bones of your body and then released slowly, and it increases insulin sensitivity. Okay, so that's another good choice. Uh, obviously, monitor your yeah, salt intake. Yeah, well, you know, and these are the things I've learned over the years, and I've had to use them myself, frankly, because, you know, 51 years old, I am predisposed to insulin resistance, plus it's, it's genetic in my family. Um, you know, uh, getting to sleep early uh, and especially no sodium intake or very low sodium intake in those last meals at night because of a phenomenon called an insulin boomerang. If you have a high-sodium meal as your last meal, like three cans of tuna fish, even though you didn't put anything in it, it was just chummed it down out of the can, what happens is you have an immediate spike in insulin and no carbs, and then you go to sleep that way, and you wake up guaranteed. You'll wake up that night for sure. You'll think you had to go to the bathroom, but your bladder really wasn't full. So be careful with the sodium intake, especially before bedtime. Um, and then also cut out the caffeine. I drink coffee. I love coffee. Coffee is a religion to me, but I drink decaf because I love coffee. I don't love caffeine. Cut out the caffeine. Now, this is for those of you who have been drinking coffee for years, you've got to go slow. It's like a drug. You've got to titrate it. You go to half-caf for a few weeks. So it's half caffeine and half uh, decaf. Then you go to decaf for a few weeks, and then if you want to stop coffee entirely, stop, but, but definitely you know, just drink, drink decaf. But those are a few things that you can do that will help to push the insulin sensitivity up and push the insulin resistance down. Rob, I'm wondering what insights you might have, given all the work that you've done with uh, bodybuilders, and uh, I just wonder if you've... Uh, I mean, I don't know if I could uh, compete with all that knowledge that our guest has. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, obviously, if you're a successful bodybuilder, you're probably not insulin resistant, but uh, but uh, it's it's just an interesting uh, contrast to look at that. You know. Well, I mean, all, all those. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm sitting here as a student, listening here and, and learning a, a heck of a lot, and I appreciate it. Um, what what all this information for me does is just just furthers my you know understanding that. You know, a lot of these professional bodybuilders and top-ranked bodybuilders are supplementing, you know, with with insulin and and really not understanding the different complexities that doing something like that entails um, is that, is as it relates to fitness and lifestyle and then how that synergistically works with the other drugs um, that are being used in, in in maybe their their stacks. I don't know, but it's very interesting. Not only, not only is it, not, yeah, I was going to say, Charles, not only is it a common practice still to use slin, as they like to call it, mm -hmm. but now, right, the, right. now the big rage, thanks to Milos uh, Sarsev, is to do pre-workout slin, which really can promote severe hypoglycemic episodes if you don't have the proper liquid carbohydrate intake during your workout. But they're using, they're attacking, they're actually taking insulin pre-workout now. Well, yeah, that's, wow. that seems to be, seems to be a, a common practice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, insulin is still popular. Now, the real problem with injectable insulin is this. The pancreas oscillates insulin like a wave. It's not just a, like a, a stream or a pulse. It actually sure. oscillates. And the liver understands that oscillation and picks up some of the insulin and rids it and lets the rest go by. 
When you inject insulin, it's just this onrush of insulin. Mm-hmm. It's not the oscillation that the body recognizes. So a lot more insulin ends up floating around the, the system, and it's thought to, that, that injectable insulin, the reason that injectable insulin causes the myriad of health problems that it does is because the body doesn't understand, gee, this isn't right. It's not supposed to be coming at me all at once. It's supposed to be coming at me in waves. What's going on here? Mm. I remember a chat I had a while back with Art Devaney, and if you're not familiar with him, um, he's one of these guys who really promotes kind of the whole evolutionary uh, uh, lifestyle that, you know, you should try to live and eat as if, you know, like our forebears did. And uh, and uh, in any event, he uh, he's real anti-insulin. And, and I remember him saying one time, you know, if you have a huge Thanksgiving dinner, he goes, the insulin surge you get from that could have effects on your metabolism for weeks. Now I don't know if that's true or not, but that was his that was his point of view, and I, it always struck me as uh, an interesting statement. No, I mean I think one of the one of the things that um that I'm interested in is is the sodium intake because I have actually heard you know a lot of arguments against the other that a lot of the people that are that are caught up in the fitness craze here um, and eating very I guess for for lack of a better term clean. Um, and are very athletic, sweat a lot, train hard. You know, you see a lot of them are actually low in sodium. Um, I've, I've heard that connection about sodium and sweating. Yeah, getting cramps, a lot of your cramping coming from it, and, and uh, you know, even as, as far as weakness and stuff like that due to to lower sodium in, in some of your athletes. And yeah, I guess health more more the healthy, conscious people than, than it would be the elite athletes. But it's not, it's, the, the issue here is how you get your sodium. In other words, what I'm saying is if you intake 4,000 milligrams of sodium a day, that may be adequate for you because like, like living in this climate here where I am now in Arizona, yeah. you sweat constantly. So, yeah. yes, you are definitely, you know, your, your, your body, your, your, your kidneys are designed so that they, they, they uh, spare sodium and potassium as best mm-hmm. as they can. But but you definitely will lose some, and you have to replace it. The problem is how you replace it. If you replace it, if you're eating meals that have two and three thousand milligrams of sodium in them, three or four times a day, you are just wreaking havoc with your pancreas. Gotcha. If you're if you're having meals that have seven hundred fifty, eight hundred milligrams of sodium in them, you're replacing the sodium you're losing. Yeah. But you're just not doing it in such a bolus dose yeah. that your body has to go. Okay, you know we got to get busy now. We have to produce some other hormones that regulate sodium, and we have to produce uh, and, and, and insulin is going to jump up and, and do its thing. And you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll tell you something else that people don't even think about um, that has a big role in the bodybuilder more so probably than the strength athletes. And, you know, bodybuilders look for vascularity. Mm-hmm. Well, insulin will reduce vascularity because insulin precipitates a response in the kidneys by something called angiotensin. And any of us who've ever had any type of uh, experience with blood pressure medicines, we know that one of the classes of blood pressure medicine is an ACE inhibitor. An ACE inhibitor is an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor. And angiotensin II, which is produced by the kidneys in an effort to um, shrink, if you will, the peripheral blood vessels to bring more blood into the core of the body during fight and flight episodes, um, which is what the purpose of it is, is circulating through the body all day long when you have high insulin levels because insulin precipitates angiotensin. So if you are a bodybuilder and you're looking for that really great vascular look, cut back on your sodium or cut back on, don't cut back on your sodium intake, 
but make sure that you're doling it out into your body in smaller doses so that you don't have those insulin spikes and you don't have that spike of angiotensin, which is going to actually cause blood vessels to constrict that you don't want constricted. Yeah. Well, and I think this is kind of another reason why uh, it used to be the crazy in bodybuilding for, you know, sodium depletion and whatnot. And then, you know, the latest thing is kind of sodium loading. And due to the fact that then, like you're saying, your body is, they load up on this sodium and then your body is creating the hormones to expel it quicker and quicker and quicker. And the minute they shut it off then, several days out or a day out from, from being on stage, then it's just pushing it out. And, you know, then they get that leanness look. But that's, again, we're not talking health there. We're right, talking, we're exactly. talking for an event. But, um, no, this is quite interesting stuff. Um, and we got a question from Travis Campion from St. Cloud. It kind of uh, pretty much covered this one, I think. Taking a high dose of stimulants such as diet pills, thermogenics, for a long enough time start to cause in- insulin resistance. Um, can it? And be a reason for accumulating excess abdominal fat i'm not sure if that's the right way to phrase it but you know well i i don't know i i don't know that the net results will be fat and i i actually had the same question for the one of the scientists i interviewed for super on radio i had the same exact question i said you know diet pills are all stimulant based and mm-hmm. so could they actually by spiking insulin you know i don't know that that beget one begets the other because if you're taking diet pills and not eating yeah you're artificially raising glucose levels, but the glucose is being released from the, the, pan, from the liver in the form of glu- glycogen. Yeah. And it's really not that much, but you're still raising it artificially. So what's it really going to store? Now, if you were to have, if you were to have a large stimulant drink, like one of these monster drinks, while you were pounding down a quarter pounder, I would say you would have probably put on a great deal more fat from that meal than you mm. normally would. Well, I think what he's getting at here too is that can it cause insulin resistance? And you've kind of absolutely, that. oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, look, if your baseline glucose levels uh, hover at eighty uh, uh, nanograms, and uh, and then you and then you have no food in you, and you throw down a, a stimulant-based pill, and it raises that to one hundred and ten, that means that you have excess glucose running around in your body, which means your body has to compensate by producing more insulin. And the way to think of insulin is like if you've ever went to a concert and sat and you were all the way up in front by the speakers and your friend was all the way in the back, well, you became accustomed to that sound being so loud. You became used to it. And so as a result of that, when someone wants to talk to you, they would have to really yell loud. When you got out of the concert and you were with your friends and you started talking, they'd say, hey, stop yelling. <laughs> right? Well, the same thing happens with the cells. When insulin is high, the cells become immune to it. So the insulin has to become higher just to get the normal response that yeah. you want from it. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. Taking diet pills for a prolonged period of time, while they may cause you to lose fat. And remember, skinny people can be insulin resistant. Mm-hmm. I think I think the other main thing that Travis needs to think about, too, is um, – as far as excessive abdominal fat later on would be, uh, you know, from high doses of stimulants for a long period of time, but just a flat-out adrenal fatigue. And when you stop, you know, not, I mean, just much in the same as insulin resistance, your body gets used to this high level of, of artificially replaced uh, adrenal action. And you're hyped up all freaking day, and then you need more and more of that to get the same feeling, and then you cut it off. 
and you're low, and your body's not creating that the normal it's, it's, it's normal chemicals to keep you going and keep you up, you know, fight or flight and all that stuff for training, and uh, you're just kind of down ramped all day long, every day, and you're you know sure. as a result lowered metabolism, this and that, lowered activity, um, Low, lowered immune like system response. Because remember, if cortisol is elevated constantly throughout the day, which is what caffeine does and stimulants do. Cortisol is the primary immune system responder. It goes in and stops swelling and, and, and keeps you from having, uh, you know, uh, reactions to foods and, 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 uh, and elements. Well, when cortisol is elevated all the time, the body becomes immune to its own cortisol. Yeah. Now you, develop, you start to develop chia. I don't understand why I have, you know, I always have sinusitis. What's going on with my body? Well, because of the additional elevation in cortisol, your body is not responding to cortisol any longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On a related topic, um, I know you wanted to touch on the uh, the new the new laws coming out or trying to get yeah, and, and this is kind of a side, and I know that mo- most most people probably don't want to hear this, but this is a soapbox for me right now, and it's really critical. Um, there is a movement in government, and I am not a conspiracy theorist. I want to be clear about something. I'm not one of these guys who believes that you know they're trying to inject everybody and 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 uh, you know control everybody and all that sort of stuff. But what I do want you to understand is that there is a a for-profit influence that is is moving government in a direction to restrict our ability to get healthy foods. And what I mean by healthy foods is I only eat grass-fed beef because that's the way cows were designed to uh, function in nature. If you eat grain-fed beef that is raised in a CAFO, a confined animal feeding facility, these animals stand in their own waste days and weeks and months at a time they, they're, they're, they're born with disease, I mean, loaded with disease, so much so that they have to be given therapeutic doses of antibiotics to keep them alive long enough to slaughter them. And, 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 I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you something. In the animal kingdom, if a lion comes upon a sick gazelle, and, and I don't mean a wounded gazelle that's easy prey. I mean a sick gazelle, one that clearly is dying of a disease. A lion will not pounce on it and eat it because in the animal kingdom, animals know you eat a sick animal, you get sick. But we don't have that option as consumers. We don't know what's sick and what's not. And what I'm here to tell you is that all the beef, all the chicken you buy at the grocery store, if it's not grass-fed beef, if it's not free-range chicken, if it's not animals that are living the natural life that the animals were designed to live before they were slaughtered, is sick animals. And it's one of the reasons for the myriad of diseases that we have today. And there's a bill in the House of Representatives right now called H.R. 2749 that was just passed by the Senate. It's being pushed through by Monsanto and big companies like that through the wonderful leadings of Rosa DeLauro, who uh, is the representative for Connecticut, and her husband works for the firm that represents Monsanto. So I'm not going to say anything more about that. Um, They are going to take away our rights to have access to healthy food. They're going to squash the small family farm. Um, for my friend there on the phone right now who's up in Canada, this has already happened in Canada um, through things Perfect. like co- – like co- I mean, you can't even buy raw milk in Canada anymore. It's, it, you, you're, you'd be better off trying to peddle anabolic steroids in Canada. Do you know they have less punishment for traffic, trafficking anabolic steroids in Canada than they do for raw, unpasteurized milk? That's oh, God. Okay. There's a reason for this, and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I do shows. If you want to hear more about this, go to superhumanradio.com and look at some of the shows I've done on the FDA and Codex and stuff like that. There's a reason for this. The government is being influenced by the large corporations. They want to centralize our food supply. It's all about money, folks. Like they always say, follow the money. 
It's all about money. They want to centralize the food supply so that these big companies can control the food. That's all there is to it. It's all about profit. Okay? HR 2749, you have to go to the website, house.gov forward slash write, W-R-I-T-E, rep, R-E-P. Find the representative for your zip code. Get his fax number. Don't email him. Don't send him a letter. Get his fax number and fax them a letter saying that you do not want him to vote for H.R. 2749. Let me tell you how severe this bill is. Charles, do you have a garden in your backyard by any chance? Uh, I don't. Okay. Well, I used to when I lived in Kentucky. I used to grow my own tomatoes. I used to grow my own broccoli. I used to like to grow my own because it's fun. You send the kids out. They grab a tomato. Boom. Absolutely. Well, under H.R. 2749, if I had a home garden and I bought fertilizer from Home Depot, I would be classified as a small farm. I would have to register my – and this is no BS, folks. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This isn't like, oh, he's you know, trying to stir up. I would have to register my plot of land as a small farm. I'd have to keep records of how many, what the yield was and who ate it, and I couldn't sell any of it. I, I, and if I gave any away, I'd have to keep records of who I gave it to. And they're, doing, they're saying this is a food safety bill. It's BS. It's designed to push the small family farm out of business. The only thing that's going to save this country is the small family farm, decentralizing food, and you won't have the nightmares that we have where a 1,000 people are dying from salmonella from one plant out west that made, you know, peanut butter. Mm. Centralization of food is no good, no good at all. So H.R. 2749, people have to make sure that they let their voices be heard. Codex snuck under under the radar here. December of this year, Codex comes into effect in the United States. For those of you who like supplements, you're going to start saying goodbye to them. Do you know, in, and, and, and my friends here in Canada can probably vouch for this, you cannot buy DHEA over the counter in Canada. Right. Okay. You, you, you can't buy, in, in, in Europe, I have a friend in Austria, you cannot buy vitamin C capsules larger than 60 milligrams. You cannot buy glucosamine or chondroitin without a prescription. This is all codex. Now we have Amazing. codex here. This, this, there's, a, there's a big word floating around in government today. It's called harmonizing. We're going to harmonize with the rest of the world. Harmonize. It's all about controlling the people, mm-hmm. controlling our dollars. Don't let it happen. HR 2749, go to house.gov forward slash write, W-R-I-T, rep, R-E-P, and let your representative know that you want access to whatever it is that you want. You may not know what you want right now. Five years from now, you won't be able to get it. you go, oh, gee, I mean, I can't buy um, – Eggs from that farmer over there anymore? No, he's gone. They put him out of business. That's amazing. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, Carl, I think we're going to end it there. We've got a couple seconds left here, and uh, just want to want to thank you for joining us. And um, Carl, we'll thanks so much. Yeah, my yeah, that was uh, that was yeah, excellent. I, I learned a whole heck of a lot from you. If you could shoot that link up, I mean, come over on like my face Facebook page and Charles, and and then people can. Can can get that link to the uh, the house bill. Yeah, and I'll even put the show. I'll put, I'll put the a link to that show that fantastic. we just did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good one, Carl. That's Listen, that yeah, was great. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, thank you. Our and pleasure. Have a good one. Enjoy, everybody. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on IronRadio.org. If you're interested in studying diet or exercise. Also, to help with the and athletic trainers, 
qualified for the 